say is when I went with my wife in 1942 I lived next door to her and I waited five years she was only 14 I had to wait till she got older how old were you at the time John about 20 20 and she was 14 who do you think you are Jerry Lee Lewis (laughs) (laughs) so anyway I finally got a date from her I worked hard to get this date where'd you take her to the Columbia Theater did you bring her this is the story did you do the old old popcorn trick no, I bought, I bought a pack of gum. <laughs> that okay. team. Oh, I know. But, but uh, so we walked hand to hand. We went to the show, sat in the back row, naturally. Sat in the Whoa! back row on, on the first day with a 14-year-old girl? No, she was older than that. She was 19 when I dated her. Oh, 19. So yeah, now I mean, you're like 30. 30. Yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, uh, uh, we walked instead of using my car, and we got to the show. So Which was unusual because it, it was a drive-in. Uh, she, <laughs> soon as the show was over, uh, and I, we started to go, we looked, and boy, it's raining like hell. My gosh. She says, how are we going to get home? I said, honey, just stay right here. I'll be right back. I flew out of the show, ran down the five blocks, got soaking wet. And I brought the car back, and I gave it to her. She said, honey, you're a great guy. Oh, attaboy. All oh, right, what attaboy. a man. Attaboy. I thought she had left with somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> and she said, no. <laughs> and he came back, and she was gone. gone. Yeah, <laughs> no, she was there. Happy 44th uh, wedding yeah. anniversary well, to, she, you, to you and Lover Girl. And she married a, a war veteran from the Silver, I mean, World War II, not Summer War. Wait a minute. Like, this was not the girl you married? Yeah. So I, I married her, at, at not the Civil War. I don't mean Civil War. World War Two. <laughs> wait a minute. Wait a minute. Okay. Wait a minute. Who did the the girl that you got at the Columbia Theater that you got all wet for? Yeah, That's, I married her. You married her. Yeah. But then she married some veteran from no, no, the no, no, uh, no, no, Spanish no. American War or something. No, 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 no. The no, War of eighteen twelve. <laughs> no, no, no. I don't get it. No, no. no, no. <laughs> we got married in nineteen forty-five. I was still in the service. And then she oh, married. And then she married somebody from the Crusades. Yeah, no. <laughs> and believe you me, I was true blue to that woman. I, then, I could have had a lot of dates in the army, but I didn't take them. And then she was going to marry David, but Goliath came I was along. Say when William of Hastings uh, conquered Normandy. Uh, no, I'm just getting warmed up. Happy to see you again. Don't be nervous. Don't be rocky. You're a teenage guest is jockey now. And let me begin by wishing you a. Did that voice inside you say, I've heard it all before, it's like deja vu all over again. Thursday, July 15th, 2023, you are at jconthelime.com. How you doing, kids? Still having throat issues, which is fine this week because the entire podcast the entire radio show at 101.5 and 101.7. We're on every morning from 5.30 until 10. By the time that show is over, my th- my throat is just parched. The, uh, the problem is that uh, I'm still on all this medication from when I had the kidney stone uh, almost two weeks ago. And I have a stent in my kidney right now, which they're going to take out on Monday. So I can feel that thing in there it just really ruins 
everything. This must be what it feels like for a woman to have her period, where you just have this constant thing in your abdomen that's bugging you. So I have a new sense of uh, empathy and appreciation for women. So that's in there. But this uh, other medication that they're giving me, I I think it's got steroids in it or something, because in the past, and I've heard other people talk about this too, uh, sometimes when you're taking steroids, it'll mess with your throat. And then also for the operation, they had to put that hose down my throat. And I told the guy, I said, please, I make my living with my voice. So when you shove that hose down my throat, just, you know, be gentle, okay? So he may or may not have done that. All I know is my throat is still completely messed up, and I apologize for that. But, like I said, it's all highlights all the time. Oh, one more thing, and I'm going to be completely straight up with you. By the time I finish the radio show now on Friday, I'm ready to start my weekend. And so the podcast is now going to be Monday through Thursday. We're not going to do one on Friday, okay? So, I may change my mind somewhere on the down the line on that, but for right now, uh, you know, like I said, it gets to be you know nine ten o'clock, and I'm like I'm like everybody else. I'm going to start the weekend, and uh, rather than do a shitty job and just put on a crappy podcast, I figured you know, and I may have another idea as to what to do on Fridays. So give me a little time to think about that, and we'll sort of go from there. All right, highlight wise today. Clearly, one of the most popular bits we've ever done, and the one that always gets requested during anniversary week, goes back to 1995. Jamie Allman doing our news, or at least trying to. This is uh, just the facts about uh, Santa and his sleigh. Now, this isn't the uh, how much the 12 days of Christmas would No, cost no, it. none of that Anybody, stuff. You know, I you, hate You that. have my permission to put your foot through any television that, that sports a reporter that uh, calculates how much the 12 days of Christmas, the 12 gifts thing, yeah. would cost in 1995. Don't say that too loud. I'm going to walk in today. Jamie, you know we have it. I <laughs> <laughs> A News Channel 4 investigation. Go ahead. What do you got? Does Santa come with flying reindeer to deliver presents at Christmas? Well, here are just the facts. No known species of reindeer can fly, but there are 300,000 species of living organisms yet to be classified. Although most of these are insects and germs, this does not rule out flying reindeer. Thanks to the different time zones, Santa has 31 hours of Christmas to work with, assuming he travels east to west. This works out to 822 visits per second. That means for each celebrating household with at least one good child in it, Santa has one one one-thousandth of a second to park, hop out of the sleigh, (laughs) jump down the chimney, fill the stockings, place presents under the tree eat the snacks and return to the sleigh that's one one thousandth of a second that's right yeah now assuming all 91.8 million stops are evenly distributed throughout the earth the total trip will be 75.5 million miles that means santa's sleigh must move at 650 miles per second 3,000 times the speed of sound Assuming that each child gets nothing more than a medium-sized Lego set weighing about two pounds, the sleigh is carrying a payload of 321,000 tons, not counting Jolly St. Nick. A standard reindeer can pull no more than 300 pounds. Even if flying reindeer might pull 10 times more than normal reindeer, Santa would need 214,000 reindeer to pull the sleigh. The reindeer, payload, Santa, and sleigh would weigh more than 353,000 tons. This is four times the weight of Queen Elizabeth, the cruise ship. This 353,000 tons traveling at 650 miles an hour creates tremendous air resistance, heating the reindeer (laughs) in the same manner as a spacecraft re-entering the Earth's atmosphere. The lead pair of reindeer will absorb 14.3 quintillion (laughs) joules of air per second each. 
<laughs> Wait a minute. The lead reindeer, as a result, will burst into flames, exposing the reindeer behind them and creating massive sonic booms in their wakes. The entire reindeer team will be vaporized within 4.2 thousandths of a second. Santa will be subjected to centrifugal forces 17,000 times greater than gravity. Assuming that Santa weighs 250 pounds, he would be pinned to the back of his sleigh by 4 million pounds of centrifugal force. Merry Christmas. See, that's one of the main reasons that I've always done shows like this. It's always been the rule. Don't ever rehearse anything. Everything's got to be a surprise. Everybody's got to be able to give a true reaction to what's happening. And if you know what's coming ahead of time, your reaction sounds phony, and that's no good. And I've fought with managers and program directors and everything like that for years about this who want everything all plotted out before you do the show, before you even step in the studio. And it's like, nope, I don't care what they say. And I don't care that they have the job where they're supposed to be able to tell me what to do. It doesn't work as well their way. And here's another example of that. We probably weren't supposed to do this. No, for years and years, decades, decades, probably six decades. This is a test of the emergency broadcast system. If this were an actual alert, you would have been instructed where to tune in your area for news and official information. This concludes this test of the emergency broadcast system. And you just go, now it just goes, or something like that. And so we've been going through that drill, I guess you would call it, with broadcasters for, you know, six or seven decades. 9-11 happens, the system doesn't alert. It doesn't go off. How on earth can they justify that? Well, you know, we're just waiting for some sort of real emergency. Oh, great. Maybe there'll be one. Anyhow, we had Lance Hildebrand doing our traffic. We had Steve Schlanger, the sports monster, Mark Close, John John Canavera, one of our producers. And I just figured, you know what? It's just time to get the get to the bottom of this. Well, while that song was playing, this is one of my favorite topics. The emergency action, what the hell used to be called the emergency broadcast system. The EAS. The now it's called the emergency alert system, I guess. Yes. Alert system. Yeah. Okay. Now, what happens is a little light goes off on the wall and a little piece of paper comes shooting out of a slot down beneath me here. There are some that just, they're like little tests. This is a test of the emergency action system. You've heard all that right. stuff before. But this one is different. This one actually takes over the radio station. If you don't, if you don't press, you can play it now if you want. Yeah, you can set it up and play it when you want to. But if you don't, it'll automatically it'll do automatically it. It'll automatically, it'll seize the signal. I want to see it seize the signal. I believe it's five minutes. Five minutes. Five minutes. So this thing hit it. I thought this thing hit 7.32, so it should have taken over already. 15 maybe then. Maybe it is 15, I'm not sure. All right, <laughs> two and a half like hours. Some, are you sure it's a test? You sure it's, it's not a test? It's a required monthly or, test. You right. should explain what this is for, too, because people this listening. This is for nothing. No, it's this not. This is for the government to make you believe that somehow, if we're attacked, that somehow the radio station, ah, Jesus, what now? Hello, you're They're, on the air. Hey, it's Joe. Hey. It's 15 minutes. 15 it is 15. Minutes. Okay. Yeah. So if I don't, so what time did it come across? 732? Uh, it's on receipt. 733 or something like that. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so actually it looks like in about it's over there in the one, two, three, four, maybe in about three to four minutes is when it will Some seize. kind of bizarre way of making you think that the, if there really is an emergency, yeah. that we'll actually stay on the yeah, air to warn you about stick it. around. Right. You know? Right. And so this, long. This Sorry. Is, this is a bunch of crap from the government that makes you think that somehow if, if, if uh, Saddam Hussein loses his mind and launches a scud right. in this direction. Right. 
that somehow the radio station is going to be in a position to help your ass out. Well, see, this goes back to earlier when you were talking about grocery stores. Here's the difference. You don't get emergency hey, alert systems hey, Joe, at Schnucks. Joe, this one ought to be good. Okay, Close you know, is going to compare grocery stores to being to being attacked in a nuclear holocaust. If you were going to Schnucks and all of a sudden we would be attacked, I doubt very much that the guy would going to go, uh, attention in aisle seven, we're being bombed. They're gone. But since we're a government but aisle agency, six is okay. Aisle six, you're they're cool. Just, they're just going after produce. Everybody, <laughs> everybody, get to frozen foods immediately. It's just, it's the difference because we Take are cover in the dairy Sanam section. Hussein cannot grow cauliflower in the sand. We are so he's coming after our cauliflower. <laughs> we are owned and operated by the government, basically. Okay. And that's what it's all about. All right. So seven thirty-two is what time this thing came by. So what you're basically saying is, sometime in the next ninety seconds, Joe. Uh, yeah, basically. Sometime in the next 90 seconds, what's going to happen? I'm going to be talking, and all of a sudden, it's just going to cut us off? Uh, yeah. What happens is it, uh, seizes the air chain. It right. seizes the Which air chain. It, it kills all of your stuff and just right. straight into the air chain. So I could be in the middle of some bit of hilarious comedy. Yeah, what are the odds? Go ahead. And the, <laughs> and the government is just going to butt in on the show, right, yeah. and start talking. It's because yeah. they own the signals. They own the airwaves. They we don't. can kiss my ass. Well, <laughs> they could probably do that if they wanted to. What, Joe? Well, the whole idea is they give you 15 minutes to own it yourself. Right, right. They give you 15 minutes to own it yourself. <laughs> Listen, Joe, that's an interesting perspective. <laughs> you are in control of your own destiny for 15 minutes. After that, the government takes over and they say, we're coming in. Big Brother is watching. Okay, now it's if, if they don't interrupt within the next 30 seconds, then, then, then they ain't going to do it. And the system doesn't work. And that means we're being attacked. Is Joe, are you sure this is, is this the monthly today? Yeah, it is. Okay, so. I, uh, one of our sister stations already called me about it. Oh, <laughs> It's so funny because you'll be talking. You'll be talking, all of a sudden it goes tick, 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 and you hear this little ticking noise and you're gone, so. It's kind of right. like when the sale goes through. Exactly. That's a determination. <laughs> they sort of seize the signal and yeah. do what they want. Except this is only monthly, and the sales yeah. go through more often. They're going to give, give us 15 minutes, too. <laughs> and your 15 minutes is up, buddy. That's right. Change the format. Tick, 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 tick. We got two minutes. Two minutes. There are two minutes remaining. We're going to DEFCON 5. That's right. Yeah. Don't be alarmed, ladies and gentlemen, I wonder, when this happens. Could it possibly have had anything to do with the changing of the clocks? 27 people were injured this week after they were told to spring ahead and fall back. All right. <laughs> we, don't, we don't know anything. All right. Exactly. We have exactly two minutes. So now here's Mark with the news. Uh, Uh, This is the way to do it. Here's your alert. This is the way to do it. This just in. Bend over. Grab your ankles. Kiss your butt goodbye. That message from the EAS. That's all I'm telling anybody. So so now, Joe, just so that people who are listening to this have some idea what we're talking about, in the event of an actual emergency, how would this system that is going to interrupt us sometime in the next 90 seconds... Minute 30. How would it help us? John John all of a sudden is the Secretary of Defense. <laughs> John John thinks he's in war games. I'll be in the bunker if you need me. See you later. I have thermonuclear impact in 30 seconds. We have, we have Joshua sitting here. <laughs> what, uh, how is this supposed to work in the event of an actual emergency? Uh, well, there's like codes and things. Yeah. If you look at the AAS. We have, we have code words. You open so it up, and there's special code words. Where are their code words? It is not to be open until an actual that is, that is One correct. minute. JC what? has to open it, and then Close has to verify it. You're supposed to know. Yeah, that's right. We crack the little plastic <laughs> thing, and we each have a key to the men's room. The and that's where we go verified. and hide when we get bombed. What happens if I open it now? What are they going to do to me? Oh. Oh. I don't know. <laughs> All right. The air raid has begun. 45 <laughs> seconds. Close yeah. has the con. That's right. <laughs> 
Close has been. <laughs> That's what it is. Close has been conning people for years. Better believe it, pal. Yeah. Built what? a career on it. Am I supposed to know how this works? Thirty seconds. And you better learn pretty fast. You got 30 seconds. Right. The entire St. Louis area So is in the event of an actual emergency, Joe, what would happen? 15 seconds. Uh, I can answer that. Hmm. Be quick. All right, Mark, you answer. What? Go ahead. You'll be given code words Ten. to Who's verify. You, you, there are code words in the studio. In the book. Where? To, Five. That's back in the book for the EAS. <laughs> to I love you all. It's been good working with you. <laughs> yeah. Love See you, you later. Love This is the required monthly test. This station serves the bi-state St. Louis operational area. Somebody get me to a hospital. I'm getting the hell out of here. <laughs> they obviously recorded that guy next to the surf somewhere. What was all that noise in the background? Right. Now, Joe, I go back to my original question. How is that supposed to help me? That there? <laughs> That won't help you, but if there's a real emergency, they'll like send some other message along with it. Send some other message. They assume they'll stay here to read Stop it. Yeah. That is exactly, exactly correct. <laughs> like I assume you're in there to read it within 15 minutes if there is a real emergency. Mm -hmm. That's going to happen. Yeah. And, uh, and the, the whole thing closest talking about the code, that's just to make sure it is a real emergency. That's, uh, you verify whether it's a real code or but, a real but, emergency. But, but are you trying to tell me that somewhere in the studio there's an envelope and yes. inside the envelope there's like a code word? Yes. Yeah, yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yes, book. But sure now, is. But now if I open it, if I go to that envelope right now and open right. that up, what happens to me? Oh. I don't know. Oh. Oh, it can't be an envelope. It has to be a case where you crack it. It's a, what it, Read what it says in the front. It says authenticator words. EAS authenticator list right. for official use only. Do not open until needed to authenticate actual emergency messages. And it's got a different word for each month. Note the authentication words received on the message, e.g. Alpha Golf. Ooh, cool. Open Bravo the 1. That's Army Talk. Open the red envelope. Proceed down the column of the current month to the appropriate day noted being careful to dodge the missiles. That's right. <laughs> in the message and compare the words received in the message against the authentication list. If they match, you have an authentic message. Test authenticator words are listed below. Note the authentication words received in the message Romeo Juliet. Cool. This is like Crimson Tide. Cool. Compare the test authenticator words in the month received in the message I against the words. this is funny, don't you guys? Yeah. This is serious. Against <laughs> the words listed below. If they match, you have an authentic test message. I don't have the slightest idea what I just read. And you don't need to know. And with Scud missiles being launched at me, I'm going to be sitting here going, all right, Alpha, Alpha, <laughs> Golf, <laughs> Romeo, and Juliet. We're for it out there. What, it's because it's a verification so that they know you're not getting a false alarm, right. a we're, false alert. We're in the month of April. There's no station in St. Louis. We wouldn't want to do a false nuclear alert no, or anything. No. Okay. And then the termination word is Foxtrot Charlie. The okay. hell is going on? Suddenly, it's too obvious. Though. Suddenly, it's like an episode. Of <laughs> I mean, if I was going to write a fake warning, I'd put Foxtrot Charlie because <laughs> it seems like an obvious code word. Especially now that we just broadcast. Yeah, thank you very much. <laughs> now, thank you, Joe. Was I not supposed to do that? Every Probably not. Probably not. Probably, Probably not. not. On that note, uh, I gotta go. <laughs> <laughs> Engineering is bailing out, ladies yeah. and gentlemen. He's got resumes to send out. There's nothing on here that says I can't read it. I could have read last month, and then we wouldn't be any... JC, there are four men in black suits and sunglasses right. with large guns at the front door looking mm -hmm. for you. What if, else is new? If they're like the earthquake, or if there's a big storm coming in, they also give you an EAS alert. 
and you can get on the air and say, we are There's having a problem. Scooter public, the, I'm hiding under the counter. And yeah. the ultimate design is also to allow the president from the White House to be able to override programming on every radio station in America. That's right. And address everybody simultaneously. And there'll be like one station that will stay on the air within this like <laughs> three-state area. You know what station that yeah, is? Yeah, I can just imagine. There you go. W-E-W? That's it, baby. <laughs> 1,000 red-hot watts. Can't stop Glenn Miller just course, for an emergency. It's a, it's a daytime station, so we get bombed at night. We're SOL. You know, it ain't going to help. Bad planning. <laughs> Our bad. Well, that's not even fair. What do you mean it's not fair? It's not even fair that they should be on the air. But you because, know why they do that? Because you know what would happen if there was a real alert and they said, all right, all right, guys, here's the deal. Every radio station is off the air. Camwex is the only station on the right. air. You guys are it. You have to save St. Louis. One by one. Heart attack, heart attack, heart attack, <laughs> heart attack, heart attack. Seven, <laughs> seven guys piled up in the hallway would look like Jonestown. But they all got they got all the, they got all the, funeral, they got all the funeral homes on the air anyway, so they're working trade. I mean, that's part of the deal. Kudis just backs up a giant Meat wagon to one memorial drive and starts hauling, starts, starts dragging guys out by their ankles. They're throwing the corpses off the third floor. <laughs> All right, here's they're another just, one. They're using a pitchfork. They're just like, here's another one. Here's another guy from Continuity. Take him too. Body uh -huh. stacked up like Jonestown. And now we shift gears to 1990, where newsman Dick Ford from Channel 5 and Channel 2 was in the studio with us as our celebrity newscaster. And the great Dana Carvey paid us a visit. Bingo, take a hike. Time for sports with Mike. Mike Bush Sports Time. Sports in his shorts. And we've got uh, Dick Ford from Channel 5 Eyewitness News here, and Dana Carvey is here, and Mike Bush is on the phone. We've got everybody here. Hi, Mike. Hi, I, uh, JC. I, I only have a minute, and everybody is pointing at me, because here at this country club, I think I'm the first Jew they've ever seen. <laughs> go, Look at him. So, uh, say, you know, say hello to Dana. Dana is here. Hi. Hey. This is a big thrill. I'm sorry I couldn't be in the studio to, uh, to shake hands, but JC, if you would take a picture of Dana and move it a little bit to the left, I can, like, superimpose myself on the right and show everybody that I met Dana Carvey. I think this is the coolest thing I've ever heard of, that you <laughs> don't have to come to work. That kind of clout. It's like me being able to stay in my hotel tonight and just, like, phone my thing in over. Yeah. All right, I, I, now I'm in the church lady dress. Now I'm, now I'm doing Hans and Franz. Okay. <laughs> no, that's, that's very hip. Put a speakerphone out on the stage and just <laughs> invite people to come by. It is a pretty good gig, and, you know, I get $4,000 each time my voice is heard on the radio. Four, really? Yeah. Four grand a pop. I yeah. want your agent. I want your life. <laughs> but I don't want you. <laughs> you about Miss Paul. But Mike, how do you say tee off in German? <laughs> uh, yeah. Tee off in German. How do you yeah. say four in German? Uh, yeah, you know, don't let them volume you out there. Just go into a little Arnold impression and go, look, you little girly loser, such a little club. You know, I could throw the ball with my hand and, you know, it would go in the hole because I only know how to be number one. And I could flick you with my little baby finger and you would fly across the fairway and land in your baby poop in the sand trap. Oh! Just a suggestion there. Whatever yeah. you want to Thank do. Thank you very much. Goodbye. All right. See you. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Yeah, he, doesn't want, he doesn't want any part of this. Sorry, that uh, always gets him off. Yeah, the Mike Bush there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, you're going to be doing uh, uh, two shows. That, it was originally only supposed to be two shows tonight. Oh, and, they uh, just keep adding shows. I may never get out of St. Louis. <laughs> I love it here. I don't know what it is about me in this town. They're going to get you in an apartment. Uh, you'll be here. <laughs> be here no, I'm doing two shows tonight and one show tomorrow night. Yeah, and that that one was added because of the uh, popularity of Dana Carp. You were here in 1987 with the Saturday Night Live. Tour. 
tour. Yeah, uh, had a little Dennis Miller with me there. Okay, <laughs> what am I, Condor, the usippery one here? Does Dennis know what he's referring to? It's like, what am I, Queequog here? <laughs> <laughs> Who are these people? Yeah. yeah, I was. I was with them. And I stopped by once uh, a couple years ago, and now I'm back. Uh. Great shows. We have been uh, telling people that uh, that you really, really are terrific uh, in person. You don't come out uh, come out on stage in the church lady outfit. I think people are expecting but sometimes I, to see that. I have that. the glasses. I have the glasses. Yeah. Last time I was at the Westport Playhouse, it was frightening. As I was leaving the stage, I saw a 12-year-old boy in a dress doing the church lady <laughs> face, clamoring oh, toward me. One of those slow motion things. Of, oh, I, what's wrong with this picture? You serious? A guy dressed up like the yeah, church lady? Yeah, but, that, you know, I mean, I for a while, I did encourage Youth of America to a cross dress. <laughs> it was frightening, but then they went into the Hans and Franz thing, and now they're now they're dressing like Wayne and Garth. So uh, uh, <laughs> I just want them to be my willing thralls and dress, do what I say. But Garth will probably make an appearance. Oh, is that right? He might be singing. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, right. This is the word that Garth said. This is Garth's big word on that show. Kebim. <laughs> I don't know what it is. People love that one word. Kebim. There it is, ladies and gentlemen. A few tickets still available. You can hear me say kaboom. When are those shows again, Jason? Uh, two tonight and uh, one tomorrow night and at 8 o'clock. Where? where? where Unbe- was that? Unbelievably, <laughs> tickets are still available for the 8 o'clock show tomorrow night at the West Can Fort you Playhouse. believe that George Bush yesterday at that Nixon library thing got Reagan in a headlong said, Who's the boss now? Who's the boss now? Well, you are. You are. <laughs> love this little man. Love what you're doing. I'm number one. <laughs> they, they say, you know, years ago, the, uh, the, uh, they, they said there was a shortage of stand-up comics because there was no place for them to develop. You right, know? I mean, yeah. they, they, If you think about all the stars in those days were uh, billions or burlesque uh, yeah. you know, people. Now, I guess there, there isn't a shortage. I mean, maybe no, the shortage of quality, but certainly, man, there's, there's a lot of people uh, no, who are doing it. comedy clubs everywhere. I mean, they, they didn't even have comedy clubs. When I was a boy, I mean, I sound yeah. like, they didn't have comedy yeah. clubs. And we liked it. You liked it. You stood on your head and spewed out jokes and hoped somebody stopped and pulled you yeah. off your cranium. Yeah. No, uh, I guess we, it's true. you got to develop a character. You can't just start this overnight. you gotta, you got to develop it in some way through right. some minor leagues, I guess you'd want to call yeah, it. Yeah, I know. played music rooms. They'd have comedy night. I played the Vaseline Room in Bakersfield, which was uh, rough. What? Yeah. <laughs> the Vaseline Room. Ba- the audience used to dance to my act. It was incredible. Yeah, Chuck Berry and I used yeah. to hang out, and I'll tell you, it was amazing what we were doing now, down there. Did you? You grew up in uh, like Montana? Is that right? Uh, no, I was from Montana, but I really grew up near San Francisco. So it wasn't uh, that difficult to find a venue to go. I'm no. trying to think. I don't think you would have had much opportunity in Montana. I mean. No, 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 no opportunity there. <laughs> Playing to some pine cones and some <laughs> drunk fishermen. No, my San Francisco is good. Very tolerant. I played to hippies. I play. I I, I started in the Haight Ashbury. Which is a very tolerant place where you can mm-hmm. do characters like the church later or whatever, and they go, fine, you know. <laughs> I mean, you could paint your head blue and, and cop an attitude in San Francisco, and people just go, nice shade of blue, dude. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you try that, like, you know, out maybe in someplace else in this country, we be like, your head looks like a damn bowling ball. Yeah. <laughs> and we want you out of here now. You know, uh, so. Dick was uh, talking about this earlier. Uh, uh, his wife, Gail, had, had said, you know, ask Dana, ask somebody, uh, w- w- as far as maybe what might be some hands-off stuff. Now, but that you say the censor, and, and one would find it difficult to believe that there was a censor anywhere near 30, 30 Rock when you guys did the penis sketch, which was, I guess, what two was years that? ago. The penis sketch Well, last night they finally aired the, uh, the Fonkin sketch, F-O-N-K-I-N. Fonkin, which is uh, the Brooklyn Academy of Arts, and we, we just were going... Oh, it was the lo- uh, Tony Danza thing. Right, and they weren't going to air that again. We lost a million dollars in sponsorship because of 
Funkin, F O N K I N. I can't believe this mm. funkin' thing. Right. Yeah, you're funkin' out of your mind. Do you, you remember know? specifically who pulled off? Um, I I don't know. It, it might have been uh, Procter and Gamble or Pizza Hut or something. I, I know that uh, I know that uh, uh, St. Louis-based Ralston Purina uh, was involved in in something where some advertising was pulled off your show too. So if you well, had, yeah, Ralston Purina, yeah, you had something to say to the to all the corporate execs who are probably listening to this right now from Ralston Purina, what would that be? <laughs> <laughs> well, you don't like that word PP, do you? <laughs> you can call it Mister Happy, whatever you want. You can call it your friend. <laughs> we'll use that 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 technical that scientific term. Didn't like it. Learned it there in biology class. Penis. Say it with me. Don't have to be frightened of it. So you know that sketch was just about you know the male obsession with his with his organ and you know we just thought let's just take it to the extreme. And people lost their minds for some and reason. And people got flipped out about it. You yeah. Know? But I mean your first real you know honest to god uh, full length uh, you know accredited uh, yeah. motion picture debut and they throw you in with two. Icons. Yeah, it was unbelievable. I said to my agent when I got the job, he said, Give me this, let me get this straight. I talk, then Burt Lancaster talks, <laughs> and then I talk again, and then Kirk Douglas talks. Are you kidding me? So I walk on the set, and I go, this is my first movie, Mr. Lancaster. He goes, oh, it's my 80th. I've done any motion pictures. You've done one. I'm a star. You're nobody. <laughs> no, he was a very nice guy. Kirk Douglas walked up to me and said, well, you're perfect. I don't know why I talk like this, but I do. When you get past the church lady and past Hans and Franz, what, what's next? What are they like? What do people on the street come up to you about? Well, lately it's just been George Bush a lot doing that thing. George Bush, and I met him a couple weeks ago in the White House. He How did you get invited to the White House? I was in Washington doing a benefit for the Democrats because Lorne Michaels asked me to do it. It's not like I'm sort of a moderate. But anyway, I was playing Bush for the Democrats. So Ted Kennedy's out there, Alan Cranston, and I'm Bush with the whole thing yeah. on going. Love to run against that guy, Mario. <laughs> That Cuomo guy. Not a lot of Mario's down there in Tennessee. Not a mainstream name. I can see myself the debate now. I just disagree with Mario. Can't go the extra mile of Mario. Can't get together with that fella, Mario. So I got a note at the hotel. The president would like to meet you. So I walk into the Oval Office, nervous. I'm blown away. I see Bush, and I go, Mr. President. And then I saw Quail. And without thinking, I went, Dan! <laughs> And he just, oh, he just sank down, you know. But Bush was very charming. But you can't nail, he just, he's so noncommittal. He's very slippery. I said, do you watch Saturday Night Live, Mr. President? Don't know, not enough information. <laughs> there are those who say I watch it. Others say I don't. Don't want to be drawn into that debate at this juncture. <laughs> then I tried to just nail him on anything. Did you have lunch today? Don't know. Was hungry at 11. Full at 12. There's that gap in there. You can turn it, twist it, do what you want with it. Still there. It's good. It's good. Uh, one of the uh, characters that uh, I would like to see you do more of, and that, of course, is Casey Kasem. Casey Kasem. You don't want to get him mad because that voice is so up-tempo that when he gets <laughs> mad, it's more frightening than anything. So yeah. it's worse than... I mean, I had a nightmare the other night that he got upset with me, and it was like, hey, Casey, how you doing? Shut your lousy, stinking mouth. <laughs> shut it or I'll shut it for you. I'll kick your butt all the way to Reno, cowboy, and it won't feel very good. I'm Casey Kasem. <laughs> yeah, you don't want him mad at you. That, that is amazing. You know, one thing about Casey, every time I've done Casey Kasem, he has sent me a gift. Really? He sent me. It's like Alb <laughs> It's unbelievable. I don't know. Maybe he's with the jars and the gauze tape over. <laughs> uh, he sent me albums. He sent me... Uh, <laughs> Little little, you know, figurines and pictures of his wife. But you know, no, he's um, <laughs> he seems like a really nice guy. I don't know what kinds of things uh, as you look forward to another season of Saturday Night Live. What do you want to do that you haven't tried yet? 
Well, when I do a little more George in different situations, gonna be working on the grumpy old man. In my day, we didn't have these thin latex condoms. There's only one kind of condom. You took a rabbit skin and wrapped it around your privates and tied it off with a bungee cord. <laughs> you didn't feel nothing, and half the time you didn't even know if your partner was there. And we used the same one over and over again because we were ignorant morons. We didn't know any better. And that's the way it was. We liked it. True story. Maybe six months later, I ran into Dana Carvey at a Saturday Night Live cast party. It was like 2.30 in the morning at a place called uh, Carmine's on the Upper West Side, I want to say. And he just walked up to me. I was actually talking with Mike Myers. And Dan and Carvey walks up to me and just in that Garth Algar voice goes, you're my favorite radio personality. Couldn't remember my name, but he knew who I was. And then I refreshed his memory and we started talking. He was awfully, awfully nice to us. And that was just one of those great days in the studio. And uh, all week long, I've been sort of de-emphasizing the celebrity aspect of what we've done because we've had you know so many of the biggest stars of the day, whether it's music stars or comedians or motion picture actors and actresses, TV stars, famous producers, authors, the works. But for some reason this year, I just wanted it to be about all the silly things that were happening in the studio and all the interaction between and among all the people we've had doing the show over the years. With one or two exceptions. I'm going to play this one for you because it's so rare. Carrie Fisher did not have a reputation for doing a lot of interviews. She just didn't do them. So when we got her, it was a pretty big deal. And the thing you have to know about this, it's the beautiful setup of the whole piece. When we used to have uh, celebrities standing by for interviews, they would be on hold so they could hear the radio station playing through the phone as they were standing by getting ready to be put on the air. Carrie Fisher, it turns out, might have been the only celebrity we've ever had on the show who, in that position, was actually paying attention to the commercials that were on the air right before we put her on. I think it's appropriate, by the way, that you're interviewing me right after the Viagra and Cialis ad. Yeah, well, well, well. Let's start right there. Your new memoirs. I didn't. I didn't know it cost three dollars a pill for Viagra. <laughs> hey, we're paying big money for those stiffies, you know. Uh, yeah, that's three bucks an erection. That's, okay. that's right. Somehow <laughs> okay. it all. Somehow when it's all over with Carrie, it seems like money well spent. Mm-hmm. Worth it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, so your new book published by Simon & Schuster, it's your memoirs, it's Wishful Drinking is the name. I want to start right at the beginning, and for me at least, in terms of, this was the first question I was ready to ask you, and it is two 60 Minutes questions. You appeared on 60 Minutes a couple of years back, and you were talking about problems with your love life, and I still remember this, because Uh-oh. you said what they, I was single at the time, because I remember this, and you said, you know, your, your friends always say, oh, Carrie, you know, as soon as you stop looking, you'll find someone. Oh, yes. And you said, or how about this? No, you don't. Please, please tell me. Please tell me that somebody's got their hooks into that luscious flesh of yours these days. Uh, maybe sometimes that <laughs> luscious flesh, and there's a lot more of it. <laughs> but we got something going on these days. Don't ask me that. Well, all right. So, so that, yeah, you know, I occasionally I, I, you know, hire a hooker. <laughs> that, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> huh. Yes. It's for that. You've made me blush. Now. Yeah, yeah. That I've done my uh, work here. Really, really hard to do. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, today, by the way, is the 30 year anniversary of Belushi and Aykroyd recording Soul Man. 
Today is the oh. 30th anniversary of that song having been recorded. That was a weird one, but we were joking before we went out about Vancouver, British Columbia. We went to see Lethal Weapon 2. I was doing those movie junkets. And, and they said, oh, while you're out there, would you mind seeing another movie? I was like, sure, what is it? Like, oh, it's this thing called When Harry Met Sally. I'm like, sure, whatever. Carrie, the studio had no idea what they had with that movie. Did you really? guys, Did you guys have any idea when you were doing it? Totally. I mean, I don't know if I thought it was going to be like a bit... I, it was a great, great script. Like Star Wars was a great script. And, but you never know that something... It's going to be a blockbuster, whatever you call that. But uh, yeah, I knew it was going to be great. Well, you know, I told you I had two 60 Minutes questions, and here's the other one. Um, okay. You know, Paul Simon, your ex-husband, had been on 60 Minutes, and, and he's being interviewed, and near the end of the interview, he's talking about everything, and, and sort of reveals the fact that uh, even though you guys were not together anymore, that you were the true love of his life. I'm sure you saw that. You weren't I together. I didn't. When the hell was that? <laughs> <laughs> well, it was on many, many years ago, but I mean, it was after your divorce, and I thought to myself... Maybe we'll get back together. <laughs> uh, well, we all know what went wrong in each of our first marriages, and there's a couple of people in the room, present company included, that had a first marriage. Didn't work out. We think we know after years have passed why it didn't work out, and because you're celebrities, people always wonder about that. Uh, do you have, with the passage of all this time, any uh, reasons that you think that that did not work out? Well, we were two flowers, no gardener. No one was minding the relationship. <laughs> Brilliant. You realize people I'm are going to sure, steal that one. Well, I'm sure that, you know, it didn't help that I was taking drugs. That couldn't have been a lot of fun for him. You know, when I was really young when we started together, I, he was like my high school sweetheart. I was 21. So we were together for about 12 years. And we were either, we either got, got along fantastic or just, you know, not. No middle ground. <laughs> not fantastic. But, you know, we were the same size. I used to tell him not to stand next to me at parties because we'd look like salt and pepper shakers. <laughs> and if, if we'd had a child, it would have been so short. We wouldn't have seen it till it was three. <laughs> Well, if people put your book down called Wishful Drinking, published again by Simon & Schuster, and they've closed the book and they're like, wow, that was interesting. What Do you have any hope for what people will take away from your life experiences and your memoirs? Oh, uh, you know, my thing is, if my life wasn't funny, it would just be true. And that is unacceptable. And what I found through going through a lot of whatever the hell I've gone through is that many of us find heaven by backing away from hell. And if I can get through a lot of the things that I've gotten to, and I have a lot of things that are really advantages, but if I can get through ECT, drug addiction, divorces, whatever it is, and come out fairly unscathed, then anybody can do it. Well, you're certainly worth each of the $3 I've spent on those Viagra pills here today. So, we really do appreciate it. Wishful Drinkies, the name of the book published by Simon & Schuster, Carrie Fisher. Thank you for spending a little time with us here in St. Louis. Thank you.